Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, May 18th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film Weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, so yesterday we talked a lot about the merger between Warner Media and Discovery, and there is even more merger and acquisition news uh, sort of cropping up in Hollywood. Brad, what's the latest? Uh, yeah, so uh, MGM, one of the oldest studios in Hollywood, is apparently putting itself up for sale. Uh, this is something we heard about back in December, and now it sounds like Amazon is the one who's going to walk away uh, with the studio and their library of over 4,000 films and 17,000 hours of TV shows. Uh, apparently, Amazon right now, they're, they've been negotiating for weeks uh, to purchase MGM, and right now the number that they might get it for is hovering around $9 billion dollars. Um, since they're still in negotiations, obviously there's still a chance that this could potentially fall apart and Amazon might not come away with MGM. But if they've been negotiating for this long, I think it's probably a safe bet that they'll end up being the ones who uh, finalize this deal. And along with uh, MGM, they get the rights to some pretty, you know, decent sized uh, franchises. Not the best because MGM doesn't have like a huge library of um, intellectual property that people are clamoring for, but it does include um, their portion of the rights for James Bond, The Hobbit, the Rocky and Creed franchises, RoboCop, The Pink Panther, Stargate, Silence of the Lambs, and then their TV shows include things like uh, Fargo, Vikings, Teen Wolf, Get Shorty, both the movie and the TV series, and they also have um, a pretty uh, decent unscripted um, library of shows as well, including The Voice, Survivor, uh, Shark Tank and the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So it's just a very uh, eclectic and varied library of titles that will help beef up um, Amazon's streaming library and will also give them an opportunity to potentially craft some new uh, quote unquote original franchises of their own, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, sequelizing, remaking, reimagining, uh, turning movies into TV shows or TV shows into movies, which whichever way you want to go. And so it's, yeah, it's a big move for Amazon to, to, beef up their property that they have available to create more content. I was going to ask you about that, Brad. Do you think the the um, 
reasoning behind this decision is to bolster the library or to uh, sort of tap into these things and make new, um, you know, new entries in the RoboCop franchise, for example, or, or the Hobbit or whatever? Like, um, do you think it, it's more to uh, to build up Amazon's library? Because I know they have a ton of stuff there, but their user interface is just the thing that seems to be holding people back from, you know, always talking about Amazon Prime Video in like the high terms that sometimes people talk about other streaming services. I think it's probably both because um, Amazon does have some good stuff in streaming, but their their library also has a lot of crap in it as well. Just like terrible B-movies and just stuff you've never heard of before. Um, and so this will help bolster that. And I think that they also want to have some familiar intellectual property that they can play with to turn into uh, new stuff that will entice people to subscribe as well, because uh, they have some good, good originals on their own. But uh, what they don't have a lot of is recognizable franchises that other streaming services have gotten their hands on and help build their library. So I think that a combination of having these all these titles in their streaming library in their original form and then also the ability to create new versions of them uh, will probably help. And plus, um, if a lot of these, some of these movies from MGM, a lot of them actually, they constantly jump around to different streaming services. Mm. Um, and so... It, with this way, if Amazon has the rights to all these movies, A, they don't have to pay for licensing them for a certain period anymore. And B, some of them might become exclusive to Amazon and therefore wouldn't necessarily be easily available for places like Netflix or, you know, Hulu and what have you to, to grab and put in their own libraries. Right. Okay. So before we move on, I want to ask you about something that you might not know the answer to, but um, the you mentioned uh, that some of the, the stuff that is under MGM's purview is... Uh, the James Bond franchise. And you said specifically like their portion of the rights to the James Bond franchise. I know that's a little bit complicated. Do you have any sense of what that particular piece of intellectual property, like what what is going to happen with that? Should this deal go through? I'm not actually sure um, because it's, you know, MGM has been involved with the James James Bond franchise forever. And so I don't necessarily know when MGM gets purchased, what happens to, to that. If it's something where, that um, you know, Amazon will basically take the place of MGM in the James Bond franchise moving forward with whichever studio has the distribution rights or or what. So that that is um, unclear because the the James Bond rights have always been kind of a, a complicated thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Let's move to our next item, which is uh, some very exciting news about uh, a new project for actor John Boyega. Chris, tell us about that. Yes, it is Attack the Block Two, which is finally happening. Um, the original came out in 2011 and it became a big uh not like a blockbuster but a big like cult hit people just loved that movie and ever since it's it's come out pretty much um director joe cornish and star john boyega have been talking about wanting to do a sequel and for the longest time it just seemed, sort of seemed like sort of like a pipe dream like they want to do it but it'll never happen but now it really is happening and uh both joe cornish and john boyega are both coming back for the sequel do we know anything about what the plot is going to be chris uh not really i mean it's safe to assume it will once again involve you know aliens because that's what the first movie was about but we don't really know a whole lot about the plot just yet so were you one of the people who were sort of holding out hope for this sequel chris what do you think about this uh yeah i mean i i actually sort of missed the boat on this when it came out in 2011 like it took me a long time to finally just sit down and watch Attack the Block. But when I did watch it, I thought, you know, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, 
I, you know, I sort of assumed that the sequel would never happen. So I am glad it's finally happening. It's a shame that Joe Cornish, he's only directed like two movies, which just seems very weird to me because he seems like a really good director. And I'm glad he's finally getting to make uh, another movie. I don't, you know, I don't really know. Maybe he's just like a picky guy and he wants to do things his own way. And that's why he hasn't done a lot since then. But Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, you know, I'm happy this is happening. Yeah, I know he's one of those guys that has been constantly attached to, you know, all sorts of big franchise stuff. I know he was in talks to direct a Star Trek movie at one point. He's, he's one of those people that just sort of appears on a lot of, um, you know, short lists and, uh, you know, deadline reports that this person's in talks to direct this movie. And then Joe Cornish always ends up sort of walking away and, and never actually commits to things because I think you're right. I think he, he likes to sort of um, he wants to, like, preserve his uh, his record as a, as a filmmaker. He knows he understands that like his name is the thing that, that gets stamped on it. And, and you know, uh, the auteur theory is, that, you know, everybody uh, for right or wrong, you know, blames or, or praises the director for the final product. So, um, Brad, what do you think about Attack the Block 2? Is this something you're looking forward to or you're excited about? Allow it. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, I've been waiting for an Attack the Block sequel ever since the original movie came out. Um I'm a little bit worried, obviously, since it's been so long since the first movie came out, um, that it might not live up to the hype. But I also think that because of how the first movie, uh, you know, meshed like uh, thematic elements about, you know, um, the streets and, and class and, uh, you know, the, the hood, as it were, uh, with a sci-fi concept, that I think that there's an opportunity to do something uh, compelling with uh, the state of today's, you know, society and uh, commentary on on class and race and things like that, and hopefully do something um, that you know accomplishes the same, you know much of the same thing, but in a different way. Yeah, and Boyega himself has sort of become you know something of an activist in in recent years and like a, a famous figure on the world stage. Um, and I, you know, that would be my only hesitation was is like the the reason part of the reason I think the first Attack the Block works so well is because Boyega's character is so young like the the Moses character is is really still a kid and he has to grow up over the course of that movie in in a way that um, arguably no kid should have to that quickly but he steps into that role and and sort of becomes the de facto leader of this group and and you know this this leader of this entire community in this in this uh, apartment building and so I, I think there is definitely room for um, you know, utilizing Boyega's real world uh, activist uh, persona and and sort of continuing that story of Moses, like it makes sense that that character would grow up to also be, you know, a, a leader in that community still. But I just I'm I'm a little curious to see, <clears throat> excuse me, what happens there because I like I said I think the the youth of Moses is so important to that first movie. So obviously. Uh, they're not going to do any digital de-aging for, for this, and it's going to take place many years later. So I'm just uh, I'm curious to see what they have cooked up there. So, um, All right, let's get to our next story, which is uh, some early buzz about F9, which is one of my most anticipated movies of the year. I didn't even read any of this, Brad, because I've really been trying to stay away from all reactions and trailers and everything involving this movie because I'm so excited about it. But I don't want to uh, sell our listeners short. So um, the first reactions for this movie have come out. So what are people saying about F9? They're saying that the ending happens just like this. Uh, no, um, <laughs> it's uh, as you can expect, you know, um, the sequel is bigger and more ridiculous than any of the ones previous. Uh, you know, if the moments in the trailer where they're, clearly hinting at a journey into space didn't make that clear. 
Um, these first reactions certainly confirm that. Uh, lots of comments on people saying that it's just big, ridiculous fun, exactly the kind of summer blockbuster you want to head back to the movies for um, over the top in the best way possible. Uh, still has the humor, still still has the heart. And uh, there's, there's some dissension among the ranks of people saying that uh, they think that's just a little too much of um, the silliness and that it's just kind of starting to lose itself. But I would argue that the Fast and Furious franchise lost itself a long time ago, and now it's something completely different, and that's what makes it so damn good. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, but for the most part, I would ninety five percent of the reactions are people uh, enjoying it very much and saying that the uh, the action set pieces are just phenomenal, and that it's going to be a, a good time if you're able to see it on the big screen. Well, I'm I'm still very excited about this. I I think I personally hated Hobbs and Shaw, and I think uh, the Fate of the Furious, the most recent movie in the sort of traditional saga was, um, I don't know, middling at best. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that uh, Justin Lin's return behind the camera here uh, seems to be seems to have resulted in something um, enjoyable in, in the same way that some of his previous entries were. So uh, yes, fingers crossed for that. I think F9 comes out, what, next? Uh, is it is it later this month, Brad, or is it next month? It's No, it, it's June. June, okay. All right, cool. Uh, all right, Chris, tell me about the new Pet Cemetery movie. I know this that you were a fan of the the one that came out in what was that twenty nineteen? Um, yes. And now there's some news about the new Pet Cemetery Pet Cemetery film. Right. So back in February, we learned that there was going to be a a new Pet Cemetery movie that uh, you know jumps off of the two thousand nineteen remake, and that it was headed right to uh, Paramount Plus. It was part of a big announcement that paramount plus made about upcoming original stuff like that uh and at the time it was it was reported that it was going to be a prequel uh now we have more info we know that Lindsay beer who wrote the uh netflix movie sierra burgess is a loser is both writing and directing the movie and now it's being reported that it might not be a prequel after all uh Basically, we don't really know what it's going to be. We just know it's going to be a new Pet Cemetery movie, and it's it could be a sequel instead of a prequel. So I guess guess we'll find out. But either way, it's still going right to uh, Paramount Plus whenever it arrives. Yeah, Lindsay Beer is one of those um, up and coming writers that we cover all the time on the site because she's she tends to be attached to like big uh, franchise stuff. I know that in her on her IMDb right now, there are credits listed for uh, the mask movie, not, not a, a remake of the Jim Carrey film, but the uh, mobile armored strike command, which I think is part of like the Hasbro cinematic universe. Uh, yes. She was um, attached to write a silver, a silver sable film, the teenage mutant Ninja turtles movie, um, the, all, all sorts of stuff, the King killer Chronicle, which is based on a, a popular book series. Um, so she, her name has been around for a while, even though the only produced credit she has, uh, really thus far i think is that sierra Burgess is a loser movie so um yeah so so chris what do you think about this like wh what do you think about uh, uh where were you uh going into this news and where are you coming out of it in terms of like your um excitement or interest level in this new pet cemetery film you know i am all in on all things pet cemetery pet cemetery is uh my favorite stephen king book if, you know if you've listened to our show you know i'm a big stephen king fan but pet cemetery has always been my my favorite Stephen King book. Uh, I love the 1989 movie. I really liked the 2019 movie. And you know, a lot of people seem to not like it because it, it changes the ending a bit, but I was fine with that. And I even liked 
the 1989 movie had itself a sequel that uh, was based on nothing. It was basically like a whole new story, uh, but the same director as the the 89 film, Mary Lambert directed that too. And I thought that was a lot of fun too. So I was already all in on this. Um, I'm still all in on it, whether it's a prequel or a sequel, you know, I'm not really familiar with Lindsay beer as a, you know, uh, uh, obviously not a filmmaker. This is her directorial debut, but you know, I didn't see that Sierra Burgess movie. So mm-hmm. I don't really know like what she's like as, as a creator of, of things, but you know, I'm, I, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm looking forward to anything involving Pet Cemetery. I, I hope it's, I hope it's good. And if it's not, I'll, I'll watch it anyway. Yeah. I have not seen any Pet Cemetery related stuff at all. Brad, what is your relationship like with that, uh, that, the franchise, if you want to call it that, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I saw the original when I was young and it, uh, creeped me out. Um, I thought the remake was uh, an interesting uh, approach that I enjoyed um, on the same level that that Chris did. Um, I don't necessarily have a, a reverence for it, so this is this is just something that maybe I'll check out at some point. <laughs> yeah, I imagine a lot of people will probably feel the same way. Um, there probably aren't too many like people who are on the level of uh, of fandom as as Chris is about this particular project, real big but... pet heads out there. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk about our last news story, which is a 300 sequel that Zack Snyder wrote himself. Chris, what's the deal with this? Right, so Zack Snyder made 300, obviously. He did not direct the sequel, 300 Rise of an Empire, but he did co-write the script for that. And he recently revealed that uh, Warner Brothers tasked him with writing a third film. Um, You know, it was going to be like the the big climactic conclusion to the, he said it was called the, the quote final chapter in 300. So while Zack Snyder was writing this, it changed from a 300 sequel into a story about Alexander the great and his general Hephaestion. And uh, historians are torn on this, but the general consensus seems to be that Alexander the great and Hephaestion were lovers during, you know, their time together. And that's been touched on before. Uh, the Oliver Stone movie, Alexander, uh, portrays them as that with Jared Leto plays a scene in that movie and Colin Farrow plays Alexander the Great. So, uh, yeah, Zack Snyder said, um, you know, while he was writing it, it just basically turned into this completely different thing uh, and Warner Brothers passed on it, probably because they were like, you know, this is not a 300 sequel, Zack Snyder. What are you doing to us? Um, but he also, Zack Snyder has, has said this multiple times, that he just, he's convinced right now that Warner Brothers just doesn't like him, you know, because of the whole uh, Snyder cut fiasco. Even though I would argue that can't be true because uh, they gave him millions and millions of dollars to finish the Snyder cut. But uh, however you want to look at it, this is just not happening, but he, you know, he wrote this script. Uh, he seems to think it's a really good, he says a beautiful love story with warfare. So, uh, there you have it. So, uh, Chris, did you see the Oliver Stone, uh, Alexander movie that you mentioned earlier? I have, and I've seen, uh, there's like two different cuts of it and I've seen all the cuts. Okay. So what did you think? And, and I guess since we're, we're on this topic, what, what, which one is the better cut, I guess? Oh man, I guess the... <laughs> I keep getting them mixed up because one is called like the ultimate cut and one is called like the final cut. And I can't remember which one is better. They're all interesting. Let's say that they're interesting movies. Okay. So would you have, I guess with that as the, uh, a found a cinematic foundation for this type of story, would you have wanted to see what this version 
looked like? Did you see 300 Rise of an Empire? Are you sort of like invested in in the 300 mythos? No, I am not. I did not see the, that sequel. I saw the first one when it came out. I remember I was like, that's fun, but I've never felt like the urge to go back and rewatch it. So I don't really care about 300 as a series, but I actually would kind of have liked to see Zack Snyder's Alexander the Great movie, but uh, that's not going to happen, I guess, unless like Netflix picks it up, maybe since they seem to like Zack Snyder more than Warner Brothers. So maybe we'll get it someday. Yeah. Um, Brad, 300 Rise of an Empire, which came out in 2014, seems like something that you would have watched on a plane. Have you seen that movie? I actually saw it in theaters and uh, it's not good. It's uh, <laughs> it's not as good as the original 300. It's uh, clearly trying to capitalize on, you know, the cool style that defined the first one. And yeah, it's just uh, not anywhere near as interesting or uh, stylish or competently ma- made. So uh, yeah, if they were going to do anything with 300, I would have liked to have seen Zack Snyder return to it just, just to see what he can do uh, since 300 worked out pretty well. But uh, yeah, whatever. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com, of course, and linked inside the show notes of this episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget also to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us out a lot. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.